Welcome to this Kaiser Series podcast. This is part two of a three-part mini-series where I look into strength and conditioning through a leadership lens to learn what some of SNC's foremost practitioners think about some of the issues of the day. My name is John Porch. I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute, and coming up in episode two is my chat with Emily Hall, an SNC working primarily with the under-19 Queensland Sapphires Women's Rugby League team in Australia. Emily is also working on her PhD while helping Queensland's young female athletes, many of whom are experienced in a high-performance environment for the first time, and all of whom combine their playing with work or study, to prepare for high performance. We managed to navigate the nine-hour time difference, and during this episode, we explore the link between good behaviours and good performance outcomes, as well as the challenge of limited athlete contact time and the importance of having female coaches and practitioners available. And if you're looking for something equally interesting, in episode one, I spoke to Conor McGoldrick, the head of strength and conditioning at Red Bull's Athlete Performance Center in Salzburg, Austria. That was episode one, as I said, go back and check it out. Hopefully it'll also whet your appetite for my chat with Johnny Parks, the new associate head coach of the University of Carolina men's tennis program. Look out for that episode in about a fortnight from now. But today... Here is Emily Hall, and I began by asking her to introduce herself and her role. First and foremost, I'm a proud Wiradjuri woman, so I'm a First Nations um, Aboriginal woman from Australia. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in exercise and sports science, and then I also work as a strength and conditioning coach. So for the last three seasons, um, I've worked predominantly in rugby league. And then prior to that, I was at a rugby union team here in Australia as well. And then at the same time, I'm also working on my PhD, which is in kind of a movement-based Indigenous health field. In your experience, Emily, does performance or strength coaching need to be athlete-centred? And what informs your answer? Oh, yeah, 100%. One of my coaching philosophies, I guess, stems back to the idea that my athletes are always people first. And so I really try and center what I do around that concept of being people first. And I think that really focuses on the need to individualize things for personalities, for skill levels, for interests, for work ethic, all of those kind of components really need to be considered if you're going to try and get the most out of an athlete in their gym programs or, you know, in their conditioning-based programs. I think the more I've gotten into I guess more of an elite level sport, it's really clear that some people are there because they work really, really hard and some people are there because they've got a lot of natural talent and it's a bit easier for them to, you know, get the work done or to do the things they do. And as a coach, it's really important to, I guess, have an understanding of that and see that, but also kind of use that to understand what motivates your athletes to get the job done because some athletes will need a little bit more I guess encouragement a little bit more motivation and guidance than others will. So taking that into consideration and definitely considering athletes as people how important are behaviors and traits in physical development? Do you see patterns between good behavior and good outcomes or vice versa of course? I think it's hard to try and say that it streamlines to a pattern because I think it does come back to that really individualized approach. I mean, I think at a very bare minimum, you see good behaviors in an essence of completing gym programs, taking care of themselves, you know, prioritizing like a health-based approach or prioritizing 
what they need to do in their sport. But at the same time, you definitely still get outliers from that who may potentially not always be following the right thing or doing the right program, but are still excelling in what they do. And so it's hard because I think in all elite sports across the world, you think of like an outlier of like a bad boy in sport or something like that, who are seen always not kind of fulfilling the right behaviors in what they're supposed to be doing, but are still really good at what they do. Right. So if you take a bad boy or a bad girl, you know, a bad athlete, if we, if we use that term, how do you work with them to, I guess, optimize their program? Because clearly they bring a lot to the table. They're of clear value to the team and you can work with, with them if you understand them as a person, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where it comes back to that concept of like athletes are people first. And what I find is if I kind of stick to that approach and look at the, the athletes are people first idea, I start to learn more about the people I work with as athletes, but on a personable level. So I start to learn things about what their family dynamic might be like, what their hobbies are outside of the sporting area, outside of the gym. And it's things like that and, you know, engaging in conversations like that, that I find athletes start to think, well, this person cares about me as more than just an athlete. And I think that can really help when you're trying to get buy-in from people Um, And you're trying to get people to do tough work, you know, in the gym or out on the field because you've developed that rapport and you've built that relationship with an athlete that you've got outside of, you know, your work environment and their work environment, you've got a relationship. Do you feel that when you have that relationship and you've, you've built that rapport with the athletes that you're able to then have those conversations about maybe you need to be doing more of this, maybe you need to be doing less of this? Does it help to frame those conversations? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think if you've got that rapport and if you've got that relationship built, you can kind of be a little bit more like just kind of call them out on what they're doing as well. Like, you know, you can be in the gym and be like, mate, you lift heavier than that. You know, this is not what your program says to do or you've been in here for 15 minutes and you haven't touched a single piece of equipment. You're kind of just mucking around. What do we need to do to, to switch on today? And and if you've got those relationships, you're you're in a sort of safer position to, or what I've found, I'm in a safer position to be able to an, approach an athlete like that and to be able to speak about what's actually happening there. And it's almost like a, a mate-to-mate kind of level where you have built the rapport and you've developed a relationship that it can remove that kind of potential for any sort of hierarchical relationship where, like, you know, you're the coach and these are the athletes. It's like, no, like, we can bring it down like I am never going to feel what the athletes feel when they're completing the program. So I need to be in a position where communication can be as clear as possible because they trust me and they feel like they can talk to me about what they're doing. But then I can also be able to, I guess, pull the better behaviours and, and correct things on that kind of level playing field. You said a number of very interesting things there. And I guess the next question I'd like to ask is about athletes being proactive would they potentially come to you and say look Emily I'd really like to you to consider this or how can you help me with this or that yeah definitely and I think majority of the sports that I work in as of late have been at that the semi-professional female level so I'm working with a lot of female athletes who don't get the opportunity to train full-time they're still working they're still mums they're still juggling a lot of different aspects and trying to push forward in their career at the same time. So 
when I might get them for two, maybe three nights a week, there's things in their background that they've been speaking to their skills-based coaches about. It might be like, you know, speed out of the play the ball or, you know, explosiveness through contact. And so it's things like that, that they can come back to me with that feedback and be like, look, coaches said that they want me to improve at this, this, and this. Is there anything else I could be adding into my gym programs or they're lifting with me twice a week, but they're still lifting three other days a week at a commercial gym, what kind of things that they can start embedding in that program to make sure that they're improving on the things that they've been given feedback about. And what I've found is that a lot of female athletes that I've worked with, and that's who I have worked with for the past three years, are very productive in that space. Right. And do you feel it's more of a challenge working with these female athletes when you have less contact time? How have you adapted the way you try to do things? Do you find it more of a challenge? Do you find it more rewarding? I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that, really. Yeah, I think where it does get challenging is it's such a small time frame to be able to deliver everything that you would like to deliver. And then it also comes back to like my role in in that team as well. It's not a full-time role for me either. So to be able to put as much as I can into the program, but that's at a really healthy level of input that I can put in. But then also wanting to include things like injury reduction in female contact sports, I have to start to think about, all right, what can I prioritise in terms of what do most people need to have in their programs? And then we move back from having those individualised conversations where I can use the relationships that I've built to be like, hey, we don't really have time to do this, you know, our two days a week, but I know you're working out outside of the gym. We could just tweak these couple of things in your external program and you're going to have, you know, a more well-rounded benefit. Do you also have to consider moments when you might wish to step back, almost to not say something, to not intervene, to actually just let something play out? Is that an approach you would take as well? Yeah, and I think more recently in my kind of coaching philosophies, I start to think about things like autonomy and, you know, empowering my athletes to be able to make the decisions rather than coming in from a like dictatory kind of point of view. I'd love it if, you know, every athlete I work with makes it or has that transfer from the semi-professional into an elite sporting space where they can be full-time athletes and that's what they do forever. But we know realistically that when we work with semi-professional athletes, that's not going to be everyone. So I've become a lot more aware the last few years about the, I guess, secondary life skills that I can be embedding in in the work that I do as a strength and conditioning coach when we look at things like responsibility, timeliness, autonomy, that I know will be really beneficial to my athletes, even if they don't continue into a high level of elite sport. And I think that 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 really comes into it that, you know, we don't interject at every single point where we would like to correct everything because we do let things play out. And sometimes it's, if it's a safety thing, yeah, we step in. But if it's, you know, I've had a conversation with someone and say, like, you know, that that's going to be too heavy of bench, like you're not going to be able to do it like that, that that can be our goal that's what we're working towards and they don't listen they jump on I'm their spotting anyways but I just kind of have to let them be like you know this is what this is gonna this is how this is gonna play out they still choose to make that decision and then it's like a oh okay like you do know what you're talking about and sometimes that's what it is as well like sometimes athletes 
because they do know their own body, think they can do something. And as a strength and conditioning coach, we might be watching from a completely different perspective. Like they might aim to do something that they've benched, you know, externally. But we know we've just come off the back of a 30 or 40 minute conditioning session and it's, you know, two days before or a day after game day or and something like and we think about those all of those aspects that are going to impact their ability to do something where an athlete just thinks I did this I've done this before and we're trying to teach that holistic view of what they're doing but not stepping in to kind of take over at the same time if that makes sense (laughs) it does make sense and it's interesting I mean do you find that athletes even if they're not fully professional begin to gain an understanding of their own body almost how their body speaks to them and is that something that can be developed do you notice any distinction between that and say fully professional athletes as well I'm just again curious to hear your thoughts on that front yeah I think I think where it definitely becomes apparent is working in the female athlete space and you know thinking about things like the menstruation cycle and how that impacts a female athlete and I guess the way they feel the way they lift fatigue factors recovery factors and so like what I've been trying to do is really get athletes to think about how they move their body but how their body moves in space as well and so when we look at like our semi-professional under 19s programs as an example the training age that some of those girls have when they come into that program is quite low like they're the athletes that are really good at what they do and haven't really had heaps of experience in the gym with strength and conditioning coaches over a continuous time frame. And so it's athletes like that that we start to look at doing different kind of programming so that the athletes are becoming aware of how their body moves in space because that becomes really important for things like injury prevention. But then I'm really big on talking to those girls about having an understanding of how our body feels, I guess, at different times of the month as females but then also combining that with that really communication factor so I don't want a girl to come into the gym who knows that she's super fatigued and you know has been feeling crap all week no energy has recovered really poorly and then turns up and we've got a heavy lift day and they feel like they can't have a conversation with me about it and a conversation that's like I am wrecked, Em. Like there is no way I'm going to hit any of the the targets that we've wanted to hit today and that have been programmed. If I don't, and it comes like it comes back to that rapport and that relationship building with your athletes. If I haven't done that from the get go, then I'm putting athletes in a position where they're going to try and push and do something because they don't feel comfortable enough to have a conversation about it. Even though I would be encouraging things like having that understanding of the self and the understanding of the body before we get into an environment like that and some days like and some athletes will say that and you know as a strength coach that that's not right and you're like no you're fine you'll be fine today but then you know some athletes who push themselves all the time and they come to you and they're like I just don't have it in me today and it's like okay I get you and you have to be able to read your athletes and know your athletes and and have those relationships built with your athletes so that you can you know say the or make the right call in those situations and sometimes is it just accepting that 
an athlete, just like anyone, like any of us, will just have a bad day at the office, so to speak. That it, There are just days like that in general. Yeah, 100%. And, like, I think everyone has those days. And one of the, I guess, a, a tough part to being a strength and conditioning coach is it's really hard for you to have those days because how I turn up in the gym and the energy that I bring into the, the gym is usually the energy that gets mirrored back. And so... For me, it's about, okay, popping on a bit of a game face to come into that environment. But for your athletes, it's the opposite. And I think that's where the concept of having an understanding of who your athletes are as people really comes into it because you can pick when people are having like that off day. Like if you know who you're working with and you know your athletes, you can sort of tell like their body language is going to show it, the way they're interacting with other coaching staff, the way they're interacting with their teammates, it's going to show that they're feeling crappy. And then it come, then it like then it puts me in a position where I then need to either proactively go and have that conversation with the athletes, which would be the, uh, the preference is to get in there before gym or get in there in the warm-up and, you know, have a joke around and see how that's reciprocated and, if it's not picked up on and it's someone who usually loves to have a joke, then it's a bit like, okay, there's something else going on here. And and then I can, you know, reach out, touch base to a head coach and, you know, you know, such and such is feeling or looking really flat today. Have they said anything to you? Like, is there anything that I need to be aware of? And if there hasn't been a conversation there, then it's then it's okay, I need to try to pull this player to the side, but not in a way that's, you know, really singling them out. Just as like, oh, feeling like you're looking a bit flat today, like how's your week been or what's your day been like? And some athletes will, if we've got that relationship, they will be like, you know, Em, I've had a shit day. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to. (laughs) I've had a really crappy day. don't worry, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just not feeling it. And it's like, okay, cool. We've been, you know, talking about how your, your hip flexors have been really tight. Your core probably hasn't been awesome instead of, doing that heavy strength-based program that we've had set out, how about you go and do those extras that we've spoken about as your gym session for today and we can pick up the other stuff next week. In some ways it sounds like your most important work is not even done in the gym as such or or in training. It's done away from that environment ultimately. Yeah, and I feel that and I think the more experience I have in strength and conditioning like it's a tough industry to get into and there are so many components even to just, you know, the the practical of making people stronger, faster, fitter. But if you are unable to form relationships with your athletes, it's really tough to be able to get the most out of them and to be able to get them to do the work that you're trying to get them to do. And a lot of it is like water cooler conversations at the gym, making sure that, you know, you're having a joke with this person, you're checking in on how this person's family life is going. You're touching base with the mum who's got six-month-old that's, you know, kind of just coming back to sport and is really trying to rediscover who she is now that she's in that new role and having that wraparound approach. And that's where I find always remembering the athletes are people first encompasses so much more than just the physical, but also like the mental, the relationship building, all of those holistic concepts that become really important to 
like the person itself. Back to the conversation in a moment, but first a word about our main partners, Kaiser. For over 40 years, Kaiser has been at the cutting edge of the fitness industry. Kaiser strength products utilize pneumatic technology and dynamic variable resistance, which allows the user to build strength at any speed. And it offers an unrivaled opportunity to work towards any training goal. Kaiser's cardio products are smooth, silent, compact, and designed with the user in mind. Built with Bluetooth integrated technology, the simplistic yet striking design offers unmatched user longevity. Simply put, Kaiser equipment raises the bar in elevating human performance for everyone. If you'd like to hear more, then please get in touch with the leaders team, who will be delighted to introduce you to the right person at Kaiser. Alternatively, visit kaiser.com to find out more. And now, back to the conversation. Do you think that it's important for female athletes to be able to talk to and call upon female coaches and practitioners as well? Does that help to provide a safe space? Yeah, I think... I think it becomes really personal, like, and I feel like that's what I've said (laughs) all this whole podcast, but it's different people are comfortable talking about different things to different people. Some athletes are open books and they're there to do a job and the people that are there around them, they're happy to lean on. Some people are more closed off. If you've got younger female athletes who are moving into the semi-professional space, there's potential that they've never had female support staff. They may have never even had a strength and conditioning coach. And so if they're moving into an environment where they've only ever had male coaches, it's probably pretty normal for them. But I think, and this kind of ties back into the work that I do in the Indigenous health space here in Australia, I think it's important from a relationality perspective to have the option And that comes back, in my opinion, to a range of different things and especially when we look at the cultural backgrounds of people that are our coaches and our support staff. Is there someone available within that staff structure that has an understanding of different cultural considerations that become important for athletes when we look at things like um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and having the experiences of intergenerational trauma and colonisation some of those conversations are really hard to have with people who just don't get it. And so I think I would love to see diversity in the coaching space, not just for male and female athletes, but for people of different backgrounds and different ethnicities that that come through and have family stuff that they would like to speak about or just like cultural experiences that it's hard to like it's, it sounds really silly, but if you've not lived it, you don't get it. And I understand that as a female coach, as experiences that I've lived that male athletes just wouldn't get. And so if I was a female athlete and I was wanting to talk about some things to male coaches, there just wouldn't be that lived experience of understanding. There's a lot of people that do great work in trying to understand their athletes at that level and, you know, look at a lot of self-reflection in the things that they do and the experiences they've had and and do a lot of work themselves on being able to understand as much as possible but I do really think that lived experiences are so valuable and something that we should really be pushing for within our I guess coaching staff structures. 
it sounds like it adds authenticity to what you say and and the work that you're doing. And on top of that, if you have that authenticity, then you are optimizing the provision for these athletes as well, right? Ultimately improving performance across the board. Yeah, that's it. And and that's where I think that holistic approach becomes so much more important because you know, you can have an athlete that is the strongest person in the gym and the fastest person on the field, but if they're not feeling connected to their team or to their staff or to the people around them, I would argue you're not going to be able to get the most out of them when it comes to playing on the Saturday night or anything like that. And I wanted to move the conversation on towards injuries and and rehabilitation. What are some of the things you can do in your position to help athletes get back on track after an injury? I mean, you mentioned connection there as much as anything else. And of course, you've spoken at length about relationships. I imagine there must be consideration of all these different dynamics as well when it comes to rehab and recovery from an injury. Yeah, yeah. And when we start to look at things like ACLs or I've had some hamstring tears that have been pretty lengthy recovery times, I guess my main priorities when I'm working with an athlete that's going through those experiences are things like relationships, feeling supported in in what they're doing and making sure that there is someone that can speak to that athlete at that level. The third thing is connectedness. And so what I mean by that is the rehab process is long and can be often a lonely recovery. And uh, I try to have that athlete incorporated into the team-based training as quickly as possible because I think that's where they're going to be able to connect with their teammates. Their teammates will stay up to date on where their injury is at, but they're also going to be in an environment where that their teammates are going to come past and have a joke with them about something else. They'll be in the same environment. They'll be hearing the same things that, their team are hearing from coaching and support staff. And so they're not going to feel as much like they're missing out or they're missing something that's going to be really important to them. So if you can have athletes come into the team gym session to complete their recovery-based programs, that's where like my abilities as a coach become really important to be able to manage both at the same time, but also to make sure that they're really embedded into what's happening with the rest of the team and not singled out and left alone because that recovery process is so lonely and if we can reduce the feelings and the impacts of that as much as possible that athlete is going to feel like they've been connected to the team the entire time they just might be doing some things that are slightly different that makes a lot of sense and also and do correct me if, if I'm wrong here but my understanding from very much the outside is that there is comparatively little research on female physiology, female athletes compared with male athletes. And, and I wonder about the acquisition of knowledge and understanding on your part as a professional as well. How do you learn? Ultimately, you have your qualifications, of course, but is it anecdotal peer-to-peer conversations? How do you ensure that you are keeping up to date, as it were? Yeah, and so that... I guess physiological male differences to female spaces is not something that I do a lot of research in predominantly. A lot of my learning has been about getting out and getting hands-on and doing a lot of observational 
experiences and internships and practical placements across a range of different sports, coaching underneath a range of different coaches, where I think that helped me develop my coaching philosophies. And I think that's really important to have a huge variety in, you know, shadowing people so that you you can operate not as a carbon copy of someone that you've gone to watch, but you can watch how they operate in their different sports with different athletes, look at different age levels, different male versus female or male compared to female teams and and see how different coaches operate in that space. And you'll see what works and you'll see what doesn't through your own eyes, but you will also see things that you're like, yeah, I would feel comfortable to do that and that's something I would like to pick up. But, you know, as coaches, we still have our own personalities. There's still things that we like to do, jokes we like to have. Some of us are more serious to others. And so it's about trying to build your own toolkit based off the different things you've seen people do, but also trying to keep it pretty authentic to who you are as well. Because if you're trying to turn up anywhere in any space and you're trying to take on a persona that is not really authentically you, that's going to be exhausting. And so I think it's important to be able to show up as your authentic self but carry that toolkit of skills to know how to work with different different athletes, different personalities, male and female athletes and the differences that that might be. And then when it comes to, I guess, keeping up to date with the different research I try and be involved with lots of organisations, places and organisations like Leaders is really beneficial for me. I'm able to jump on and be involved with so many different people and, and make new contacts in this in this sporting space. Then, you know, my um, Australian Strength and Conditioning Association, attending regular special interest groups for that where there'll be different themes, you know, around high school age students, female athletes, different focus sessions on injury recovery types, things like that. And I find that having a broad network and keeping a network in strength and conditioning and in the sports science space is really beneficial for that ongoing PD. And it also comes down to, I guess, like having relationships with other coaches. Like there are, you know, I have at least five coaches that I know that I would be able to call up and be like, hey, I'm having a problem with this or I really struggled with this what are your thoughts? Have you experienced it? Have you come across anything like that? What would have you have done in that circumstance? Like, do you have any feedback for me? Things like that. Because generally, like, strength and conditioning is sort of really starting to push through in professionalism. And we've seen these roles in sport become so much more important in the last five, 10 years. Everyone in this industry would love to see the industry completely professionalized and to be remunerated appropriately from the get-go and for the ability to, you know, gain your skills and your qualifications to be really high level and high quality. And the way we do that is to make sure we've got high quality coaches around. And so I, I do find that most strength and conditioning coaches want to see each other improve and want to be able to talk about what we can do better, you know, for the next experience. And do you find that your work still has the ability to surprise you from time to time? Oh, yeah, 100%. And, like, it will change, like, even the things that I would like to focus on and 
want to do and, I mean, maybe have done in previous seasons, that's always going to be dependent on who my head coach is and who, what club I'm at and having an understanding of what the priorities are around me because, you know, I'm not the top dog as an SNC and, and it's about, you know, making sure that I can really work into the goal and the dream that the head coach is trying to portray and the things that they are really focused on on embedding within their program and really working to use my skills to complement the work that they're doing. Final major area to touch upon this morning is the gamification of training. What have you seen and what works particularly well in your view? I think gamification is really important because for me predominantly I work in team-based field sports and so I would argue that every single one of those athletes came into that sport initially as someone who just enjoyed doing what they were doing and loved the sport and loved playing it and you know loved playing the game and I think sometimes that can come across or that or that can be lost when we we move higher up in the professionalism of sport and it's so important to keep because at the end of the day we want to make sure our athletes are enjoying what they're doing they're here because they love the game so let's you know keep it fun and energetic and um you know get in and do the tough work when we need to but make sure we've got you know enjoyment embedded throughout second to that in team-based sports come back to that connection piece like fun things and and silly activities and little spurts of you know competitive based games um, within programming is really going to solidify the relationship that our team have with each other and be able to connect but also you know keeping the competitiveness within the program so that we know that when athletes turn up on the field they know how to be competitive and can keep that as an aspect of what they do and can yeah just continuing that into training I thought it would be quite fun if we could end on a short, quick fire round just to wrap oh, yeah, up the podcast. Cool. And no, I love it. I love it. I listen fantastic. to a few podcasts that do that. So that's exciting. <laughs> fantastic. Okay, let's start with this one then. Do you prefer early mornings or late nights? Early mornings. And what do you do to de-stress? Um, listen to country music. <laughs> Very good. And one word or phrase to describe your coaching or leadership style? Bubbly. Nice. And a top tip when traveling for work? Always have undies in your carry-on. <laughs> Very wise. And a soft skill you're keen to keep developing? Um, my relationship building and in being able to engage with lots of different personalities. But that really speaks to everything we've been talking about here, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And a trend across the high performance space you're monitoring closely? I think something that's always interests me is that um, running tech and speed and power development is is something that I think I'm always interested in learning more about. And my final question, the best coaching advice you've been given? I think my coaching philosophy of athletes are people first really came from one of the coaches that I interned under for about two and a half years and that was that was definitely through his teachings that I developed that. Emily I think that's a great place to wrap things up thank you so much for your time today. And that's okay thank you so much for having me it's been been fun.